Who is it? It's Britney, bitch. Yes, if you can't tell, we will be going all Britney Spears on this week's edition of Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And uh, this week, we will be discussing Britney Spears' fifth studio album, Blackout. I'm very excited for this. This was my pick to kick off our deep dive into the 2000s with one of the seminal pop albums of that decade. But crazily enough, this album came out at the craziest time possible for Britney Spears. So in case you don't know, if you weren't living under a rock in 2007, you probably know Britney Spears was not going through a great time. I mean, there's T-shirts and mugs that say, if Britney can make it through 2007, you can make it through today. It was, uh, it, <laughs> yeah, it became a meme and the shirt and the mug and all of that. So uh, there was a lot happening amidst this. So little background, Britney Spears had last at this point released an album in 2003 that was in the zone. She put out some singles in between, but not a whole lot because she got married to Kevin Featherline, had two boys, Sean Preston and Jaden James. And shortly after the birth of their second son, Brittany filed for divorce. And this started an ugly custody battle between the two parents. And we are at the height of the TMZ paparazzi culture. They were hounding Brittany all around her car at all times, catching her in the worst possible moments and crucifying her for it mercilessly. And, uh, well, this has been documented now. There was the Framing Britney Spears documentary that really recontextualized this. And uh, fortunately, belatedly, our society seems to have determined that we should have treated Britney Spears with more dignity. But that was not what happened. And... uh, We were seeing somebody go through a hard time. Britney Spears at one point went to a hair salon and shaved her head. She attacked the paparazzi with an umbrella. And all of this obscured the fact that Britney Spears was actually a singer. But in between all of this, beginning with her second pregnancy, Britney Spears recorded a whole album because she had a lot of ideas at this whole time and put out an album of about kind of about it not completely about it but parts of the album were influenced by her personal life Uh, um what did you think of all the britney hoopla of this time the hoopla always seemed to to me to be a tiny bit contrived even back then i think the standout thing for me inside of the quote-unquote hoopla is that britney spears is having her second child through this um if i'm correct they were recording before and then as early as three weeks after and i there's producer quotes throughout this being like never seen anything like the work ethic that this lady showed um and that's what i always thought that britney had in her i always thought that's what she brought to the table you're looking at a mickey mouse club alumni you're looking at somebody that's been bred ah I use bread, but been she's been brought up inside of this whole entire industry. She's been groomed is the word I was looking for there. She's been groomed by this industry and still keeps a head on. Now, anybody, I'm going to use the hard press line here. Anybody, 
I would think would be hard pressed to have this type of exposure, this type of constant berating, and then have your second child and go through a divorce. Get out of here. Get out of here. So that that's the the stuff that really speaks to me throughout all of this wildness. Um, yeah, we were there. Yeah, we lived through it. Do I remember all this? Man, like it was yesterday. Just because it's in your eyes every second of every day. Um, but on top of all that, just her getting out of it, period. I'll use it as the whole entire encompassing word for it. Getting out of it and making this album. Yeah. And and, and and then it's heralded as one of the best pop albums of all time. I feel like we say that every week about whatever album we do. But literally, I mean, people talk about this as the quote unquote Bible of pop going forward. And there's a there's a lot there's a lot to that. There's a lot to the people saying that. Oh, there is. And it's just crazy to think about, because I remember I was 10 when all of this unfolded uh, and uh, I thought Britney Spears was totally nuts. I was a kid. I was like, who the hell shaves their head? Who's doing that? She's lost her mind. I pretty much disregarded that I liked Hit Me Baby one more time as a child. I forgot that I liked any of her music. I was like, no, fuck Britney Spears. She's horrible. She's crazy. And I heard in a magazine that she was having a new album come out. And I said to my mom that, Britney Spears is having an album out. There's no way this can be good right now because she's so crazy. How can she be making an album? And my mom said she heard people talking about it on the radio and they focused just on how computerized the vocals were. And that led them to kind of dismiss the album. But as time has told, I think a lot of that was intentional on the part of the producers and the artists. Of course. Uh, and the artists. People act like Britney wasn't 100% inside of this sitting next to them. And she's got executive producer on this, correct? Am yes. I wrong about that? Yeah, she's got executive producer on this. She was right there. You know, you asked me about the hoopla and then hearing you talk about it as a 10-year-old, it really took me back for a second. And I can equate it to watching like a high school super crush. And then or not even watching, like having a high school super crush and then showing up at the strip club one night and being like, oh, shit, girl, you don't look good, man. Damn, we, like this is where you're at right now. That's what it was like back then. It was like watching the girl next door lose her mind, literally, in front of us and being like, damn, and there's nothing you can do about it. You just got to sit back and unfortunately watch the the show that goes on. It, it was sad, man. I, I always had it for Britney. That was my girl artist and beautiful woman that she is so it was always tough man like damn man Brittany, come on girl like she's losing her shit yes but our media didn't have the sensitivity to handle it at the time they didn't really know what was going on and frankly it's none of our business if of course she had a mental illness it's not her place to disclose that or anybody's place to disclose that that's none of our business but she definitely got a worthy re-examination, and thank goodness. But back to the album. Yeah. So the initial reviews were kind of mixed, but as time has gone on, yes, this has been called the Bible of Pop. And just five years after its release, this was listed as one of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's definitive 200 recordings, which is mind-blowing. How can an album get there only five years after release? But 
This one did, and in 2020, it was ranked as one of Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time, which also was impressive because this was not somebody always taken seriously by critics at this point in time, especially her peers, Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera, were taken far more seriously as music artists. But this album's just really stood the test of time for many people. And it's become a cult classic because perhaps unsurprisingly, this was her lowest selling album upon release. It debuted at number two on the Billboard 200. It would have debuted at number one if it weren't for a rule change allowing albums sold by only one retailer to chart on the Billboard 200. This was changed because the Eagles released their Long Road Out of Eden album only at Walmart, and it sold 711,000 copies. So it was the number one album, and I'm sure Irving Azoff got that changed for them so they could have a number one album because he's Irving Azoff and he has money and power out the ass. (laughs) So... This became Britney's first album to not debut at number one, which was a bit of an unfortunate distinction, and she did hardly any press for it outside of a VMA performance and one radio interview. We'll discuss that VMA performance when we discuss the respective song. But Britney decided to just let the music do the talking. She didn't go all out promoting. She had enough going on with uh, the hoopla surrounding her, as we said, and then sadly, in the beginning of 2008, during this album cycle, Britney Spears was placed into a conservatorship that we all know now was horrible and abusive. That was in 2008, so a year after this album? Months after, only months after. Wow, wow. Yeah. I mean, she was put right to work immediately, as soon as she got into it, they put her right to work, so. <laughs> and that was what, the Vegas? Not run? quite. They no. just, no, she did the circus album, and then right. it was Britney Spears' is back, and a comeback narrative was created, and we'll talk about that a bit, too, because I have some thoughts and notes on that that was present at the time, I believe, and we see more clearly in hindsight knowing what we now know about the conservatorship. But yeah, Blackout, it's become a cult classic album. It's now been certified platinum at this point, 3 million copies worldwide, lower than all her releases up to that point, and Circus for that matter. But its reputation uh, is huge, and it's pretty unanimously considered her best album. Yeah, speaking of that reputation and going back to Rolling Stones heralding it inside of their top, uh, what, 400, 500? 500. Top 500. Oh, that's right. It was, what, 441? Yeah. Uh, what was where it ended up. But they said one of the coolest things that I found anyone say about this album, and I think it really sums it up, and it's a great way to look at it. They described it as the weirdest, wildest music of her life. And an, of I'm sorry, and an avant disco concept album about fame scandal divorce and dancing on tables in a cloud of glitter and cheetos dust and as we listen through this it really is man it's that wild concept album and uh for me i agree some of the weirdest wildest music that i'd ever heard her do up until this point they heard it then it 
lasted the test of time. And here we are now getting ready to talk about it. Yes. And another thing I want to note before we go track by track, I want to discuss the fact that this album has very much been credited with shaping the sound of pop music. And that's not an exaggeration because just to hear after this Lady Gaga put out the fame and uh, that was hugely successful. She was a new artist, but that definitely capitalized on the electro-pop EDM sounds being featured on Blackout. And that was the dominant sound in pop of the next few years. Uh, the songs from people like Kesha, Rihanna, Black Eyed Peas, they were doing this sound. Britney just kind of did it before them. And heck, Britney continued to do this sound herself in the next few years, but not quite as effectively as she did here, in my opinion. But Blackout was a bit ahead of its time, and that's part of why it's still fresh today. With that being said, I don't really have any crazy thoughts on the album cover. It's her. <laughs> it's Britney with black hair, so it's, yeah. it's, it's a little bit of a, uh, like, who? At first, for me, looking at it, but then, I, I, I don't remember with black hair, but then... Me and Brittany broke up during this period, if you didn't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, also the album is called Blackout because it referred to blacking out negativity. There you go. Was the concept. So with that being said, let's do our thing and uh, press play on the album and track number one, which opens with that immortal line, it's Brittany, bitch. We have the opening track, Gimme More. And uh, this song was produced by Danger, who was a protege of Timbaland. He co-produced a lot of songs, most recently on the Future Sex Love Sounds album by Justin Timberlake, which was one of the biggest albums at this time. Great album, too, by the way. On the surface, this is a sexy song from Britney, but... It also kind of references the media's obsession with her. Feels like the crowd is saying, gimme, gimme more. And later on, at one point, you hear her auto-tuned voice saying, they want more, well, I'll give them more. And uh, she's kind of separating herself from the public, I feel like, in this song. But... Without reading too far into it, I think Gimme More is just a great pop song. The production's immaculate. It's kind of dark for a Britney Spears song. As much as a Britney Spears album could be, this is a dark album. And it was definitely her heaviest sounding single production-wise up to this point, I believe. It, it Heavy is the word for a Britney album for me. A Britney album opening up like this was not anything I ever expected. 113 beats per minute was a good pace for an opener. And I was surprised because at first it felt a little bit slow. But that that danger beat is super sick. And it's a super driven beat and it and it doesn't stop. It, it's sexy any way you look at it, in my opinion. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, and... Uh... This was the lead single from the album, and uh, to promote this lead single, it was decided that Britney Spears would perform the song to open the 2007 VMAs. It was decided it would be a big comeback performance, and what better place to do that than the VMAs, where she'd had several career-defining moments, such as kissing Madonna, dancing with the snake, uh, 
it would have been the place to do it. And there was talk of Chris Angel participating in the performance. And it was just going to be this big, huge deal. And Britney was going to show the world that she was back and back to being the great pop star that she was. That wasn't quite what happened, as many of us probably know. So the performance commenced with Britney in a jewel bikini with blonde extensions. I'm sure her hair was extended a bit at this point. And uh, she performed the song and uh, the fire wasn't quite there. She kind of just went through the motions on it. She looked out of it and there were times she wasn't even lip syncing the song. Shit. The fire wasn't there is an understatement. I mean, I remember watching this back then and I watched it again two times doing this this listen through she might as well been walking through a dress rehearsal choreography wise um she had no snap to anything Whew, man it was tough it was tough watching it back then but even tougher watching it you know now oh the fire was not there you were right on that one yes and while i'm not going to deny that the media relentlessly pounced on this performance. They were saying the queen is dead and there were a lot of harsh comments about her appearance and uh, Sarah Silverman was the host of the show and uh, she made a monologue with jokes about Britney and her kids saying they were the cutest mistakes you'll ever see, which was uh, in poor taste. So Silverman did say she didn't see the performance prior to... uh, going on stage to deliver her monologue, but still, it wasn't a great look right after we saw Britney bomb. But here's what I'm going to say. Is this a good performance from Britney Spears? No. But there have been a lot of bad televised performances uh, in our time. I cannot think of one that was as mercilessly criticized as this one. And uh, they went overboard on it. With the criticism, I think. I, I think they went overboard on the with the criticism on her. The, yes. The criticism for the performance, and I, I'm saying this as a whole entire ensemble performance that was choreographed and, and drew up and the whole... I mean, Christ Almighty, they had stripper poles come out of the ceiling down to the tables where people were sitting in the audience. This was set out, or at least I would believe that this was set out while being made or being thought up as this extravagant beast, I think that it fell short in production. I feel like it fell short somewhere where it didn't come together as a sum of the parts. And like I said, I watched it a couple of times. At first, I thought Brittany was drunk at first because even her first couple of steps are somewhat of a stumble step. But the more I watch it, the more it becomes, like I said before, like, almost of a dress rehearsal type of run through where I feel like everybody on stage, a minus the backup dancers. If you look at the backup dancers, it looks like they've been practicing this thing for fucking two years, but it just doesn't come together at all across the production. In fact, and and maybe I look too far into it, but even the camera, it, it never stays anywhere. It's all, it's all over the place. And don't get me wrong. It's the VMAs. So you want to see 50 cents reaction you want to see this you want to see that yada yada but it it seemed like nobody knew which way was up and it super fell i mean it fell flat on its face the performance the sarah silverman shit 
even back then, it was it just didn't feel right. She was she was way out of hand. She actually went on to say later on in life that she was hired by MTV to do a bunch of roast spots on there. And you can see that. But that wasn't necessarily the Comedy Central roast crowd or oh, man, that was tough. Right off the cut at Britney, like, oh, the cutest two mistakes I ever seen. And then she said they look as cute as the shaved hoo-ha that they came from and turned her head to the side and pulled her lips to mimic a vagina like is that what that's how we're starting the 2007 vmas so i think that criticism really all got targeted at britney but it looked like a fucking shit show in my opinion and back then and and re-watching it now yes i agree with that but i just think that the criticism towards her was unwarranted to go that far with it and uh this performance also inspired a famous viral video called Leave Britney Alone. And my favorite part of it, I'm going to clip it in here, is... Her song is called Give Me More for a Reason because all you people want is more, 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 more! Leave her alone! <laughs> oh, man, I remember that coming out. I remember how viral it was. I didn't even equate that to the 2007 VMAs back then. I just thought it was, I mean, Britney was getting bombarded all across media. So I just figured it was to the media outcry out on her. But it was definitely something you'll never forget. That dude, man, he felt he felt some kind of way and let the world know. And that's why it was so viral. <laughs> yeah, so at the time known as Chris Crocker, now known as Kara Cunningham, actually. She okay. transitioned. Okay. So I just found that out myself. Okay. But <laughs> despite all of this hoo-ha, I guess you could say, <laughs> the song was a hit. I don't remember it being a hit. I don't either. But this made it up to number three on the Hot 100, and... I looked up the charts at the week at peak. The number one song was Crank That Soldier Boy. And okay, at that point in time, it didn't seem like another song period existed because that was so huge. But I don't remember this being a hit, but it was one of her biggest hits ever, actually, and is still one of her most streamed songs on Spotify. <laughs> Who'd have thought at this point in time, Britney would be back with a hit, but. She was, but I'm guessing that a lot of the people who bought the song on iTunes just didn't admit it. There's no <laughs> way they admitted it at this time. It was too cool to pounce on Britney. They weren't going to admit that she made a banger, even though she totally did. And, uh, oh, the video was also uh, criticized heavily because it was pretty much just her pole dancing. And I'll admit, not the most creative video, but I'm... Kind of glad that she allegedly sabotaged the shoot like it was said that she was because the original concept involved Britney attending her own funeral, which I think is uh, way too dark and depressing for what's still a dance pop song. This isn't every time part two. This is still a dance tune. So I'm glad they didn't do that, actually. That sounds horrible to me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds way, way in bad taste. This video was not in the best of taste, period. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember this video being like, oh, damn, it's another one of those ones. You know, it's funny because I didn't equate that when I was saying it, but it's like seeing 
your high school crush at a at a strip club and being like, oh man, damn. Yeah, I have to say, uh, the videos for this album are all pretty underwhelming, in my opinion. That's a shame coming from Britney, who's known for having great videos. Uh, I certainly think she's had some classics, but they're not from this era. But the song is a classic. I think that's what matters. And I'm glad that we now all acknowledge that. The song was good. The performance video, maybe not so much, but the song's a banger. And it could still be a hit today if they were to drop it. Agreed. And a hell of a way to start an album. Most definitely. But, hey, she knows how to start an album. What can I say? I mean, the debut started with Baby One More Time, so... There you go. If anybody was knowing how to do it, it would have been Britney, but... Can she keep the momentum going? Well, I think she did with the second song on the album, Peace of Me. This song was produced by Bloodshy and Avant, and uh, Britney Spears had done a few songs with them up to this point, most notably Toxic. You probably have heard that song. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. And uh, this is an interesting song in that it's explicitly about her relationship with the media, but... She didn't write the song. It was actually fought for a long time. No, we don't discuss Britney's personal life too much on record, but the song was clearly written for her. And uh, I think this is a really clever kiss-off. I just love the lyrics here. And she just goes in, I'm this American dream since I was 17. They go up, put pictures of my career in the magazine. And then in the course, Mrs. Oh My God, that Britney's shameless. And, uh, oh, what's the other one? Oh, she's too big now. She's too thin. It's just perfect. And you want a piece of me aren't fighting words. It's just a fact statement here. And at this point in time, the world wanted a piece of Britney. And this song just kind of summed it up. But guess what? It's also a great production that could still be a hit today. And it was an easy choice for second single. It wasn't as successful as the first. It made it up to 18 on the Hot 100. But again, it's become one of her signature tunes over time. And her Vegas show was named after it. So. Yeah, you're right. They're not fighting words. You want a piece of me is a factual statement letting America look in the mirror, period. Everybody wants a piece of it all around the board. So it was Bloodshy and Avant that wrote this for her. And and they had worked with her prior throughout her career, correct? Yes. Most notably, they did Toxic for her. Dig it. So for them to write this knowing her and it to hit so beautifully, I, I love it. I love the rhythm of the lyrics against the beat in this song. Shit, here we go. We're in the 2000s. We spent the 90s talking about multi-syllabic rhymes and, and you know, the, the multis that they were dropping, period. And here we got Britney doing it in this album. And, and oh, the yeah. way the way these rhythms work are, are amazing. I've been known, I think even on this podcast, been known to be not a fan or not the biggest fan of, of autotune. I believe it works very few and far between, and it has to be done perfectly. That being said, at two minutes and seven seconds in the song, I Miss America Dream Since I Was 17, that auto-tune piece is some of the sickest auto-tune I've ever heard in my life. Straight up and down. The way it was done, the way the way it was put in the song, uh, it just worked super sick over this beat. And I, I, this is that jam. Second, you said second uh, single off this album? Yeah. 
Guaranteed. What what a chart. I, I wonder. I didn't look at that. 18. No shit. Should have been bigger, of course, but like I said, it doesn't matter. It still got over a hundred million streams on Spotify now. And also, like I said before, her Vegas show was named after it. So clearly it's one of her signature songs, and uh, rightfully so. And the video naturally took the song and uh, A video was created about the media's obsession with her, and it got some criticism. It was believed her body was digitally altered, but never ended, right? They never stopped. It's it's wild. It's it's actually pathetic to look back on. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's crazy. No, it is. But interestingly, so once the conservatorship kicked in, it was decided that Britney would appear at the VMAs the next year. And uh, as part of their comeback narrative, Peace of Me won free VMAs. And uh, I'm sure that that was service on the conservatorship's part. They wanted to create the comeback and say, hey, Britney bombed here last year, but she'll do well this year. She won't perform, but she'll win a bunch of awards that she hasn't won any really before. Damn, that stinks if they did that, because this song, I really think it could stand on its own merits. And two, for this album, we we go back to that concept album uh, thought process. This is the first song on the album that really, I was like, man, is this Britney Spears or are they just dragging her along on a beat? Nah, man, she crushed it on this, but this is way outside of her box. So screw that conservatorship or whatever it's called. If they're the ones that that planted those wins, because this well, song should be heralded. Yes, but that's what I believe based on what we now know about the sure. conservatorship. That's a hypothesis on my part, but the song and video do stand on their own, of course. Most def. And, uh, but it's rightfully regarded as one of her best songs. And now I'm going to make an embarrassing confession. I have one of two this episode, and one involves this song. So in seventh grade, I was very obsessed with Britney Spears. She was comeback person at this point, but not everybody got it. So when I told my classmates I was married to her because I loved her, and it was honestly probably my attempt to convince people I was straight, but. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? 13. So I would have been a little bit older than that. Uh, maybe, maybe a bit, but you know. And, you know, as embarrassing as you think that is, I was probably that age telling people I was married to Britney Spears, too. So you're all right. <laughs> well. Not everybody was on that page with me, but yeah, I was all about Britney, and I, uh, on a seventh grade field trip, uh, somebody gave me, decided to plant the idea in my head to sing Britney Spears with them, and a bus of us sang this song, which was kind of fun, but I know everybody was judging me, of course, because it wasn't my idea, it was somebody else's, from what I recall, at least, but... Nah, whatever. I don't know. The point is, Peace of Me is awesome, so... Yeah, and, and black black out the haters. Yes, <laughs> black out the negativity. There you go, there you go. That's one of my two embarrassing confessions, and we're not going to get there yet, but the next one involves the next song on the album, Radar, another Bloodshy and Avant written and produced song. Uh, this one takes a bit of a di- different direction than the previous two. It's not quite as heavy. Lyrically, it's not at all as heavy. It's... Uh, 
basically Brittany has a crush on a guy and he's on her radar. And, uh, you know, she's got the tingle. She wants to mingle. That's what she wants. <laughs> this isn't a heavy song lyrically, but I think it is just that great pop song for the album. It's a great, catchy, cute, fun pop song and just a nice burst of energy into the album that was needed after the slightly heavier first two songs. Again, as heavy as we can be for a Britney Spears album. And uh, yeah, I've always loved this song. It's always been a fun one for me. What do you think of this one? I think you disagree with me. No, not at all. Not at all. Oh. I, I'm actually, those 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 eyes that are usually my disagreement eyes, we're in one of those realms where I know you're a profound expert on it. So I'm I'm listening intently. I mean, not that I'm not always listening intently, but those eyes are because uh, I, I'm, I'm just soaking it up. This one, Radar, for me, I really enjoy it as a smart and skilled arrangement especially as far as the beat goes, um, that radar ping sound. The boom, yes. boom, I loved it. It reminded me that we talk about the uh, subconscious of the music lover. It reminded me and immediately took me to radar love. Um, and, and for that reason, my brain was already running on this. It's a simple, straightforward beat and the beat keeps you dancing. But what I really love about this song is that the rhythm of the vocals carry the beat. Um, so she, she's just in there just at the perfect time throughout this whole album. I'm sorry. Well, throughout this whole album period, but it, on radar throughout this whole song and it, it just makes it for me. So I really enjoyed this one. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. I was worried for a minute because, uh, so before I reveal my embarrassing radar moment, I'm going to talk about this song's trajectory as a single, because it is a, the most unusual single trajectory we've covered on this show. So uh, this was initially planned to be the third single from the album, Easy Choice, but a poll was run on Britney Spears' website asking fans to decide the next single, and uh, Radar did not win Break the Ice one. Uh, and so that became the third single, and we'll talk about that song next, of course, but... It was then decided Radar will just be the fourth single. Why not? But no, Britney was instead put back to work in the studio and recorded Circus. So instead of getting a fourth Blackout single, Womanizer was released as the lead single from Circus. And that did end up being a smart move commercially because that was a number one hit, a, a deserved one, in my opinion. I love Womanizer, but... The people at Britney Spears land really wanted Radar to be a single still. So Radar was included as a bonus track on every edition of the Circus album. And uh, it ended up being released as the fourth single in the summer of 2009. Uh, yeah, it didn't do too well. It made it up to 88 on the Hot 100. And uh, let's be real, this is a great song. It deserved to be a bigger hit, but the moment had passed. A lot of fans already knew the song. Uh, you weren't going to get anywhere at this point in time. We didn't have, like, TikTok to bring back old songs. <laughs> you weren't really going to get anywhere with a song that was almost two years old. I mean, it was more in keeping with the sound of 2009 than of 2008, but still. They made a cute video for it inspired by Madonna's Take a Bow video, and Britney looked great in the video. So there was that. 
But yeah, it was an odd single choice. And I think they should have just let it go. They should have released a different single from Circus that actually would have had a chance of being a hit because there were other potential options instead of this again. But still a great song. And now for my embarrassing memory. This one's from high school. So when I was 17, I was invited to a lot of graduation parties that year because I was friends with the people in the class above me, more so than the ones in my class, actually. But that's how it goes sometimes, am I right? Yep. And uh, I'm at this house, and the guy who I went to the party for was nice, but there were like a bunch of theater kids. And as I've said before on this podcast, I felt like an outcast amongst them. I didn't want to socialize. So I was socializing with a couple other people by this tire swing. And I decided to get on the tire swing, but knowing, you know me, I needed a soundtrack. And I chose Radar as my soundtrack to my tire swing movements. Did you sing it or did no. you put it on? Oh, <laughs> no, I just was on the tire swing going around, you know. <laughs> Being you know. a radar. You were, you were your own personal radar right there. Yes, but I mean, the girl that was there knew the song, so... Hey. I wasn't too crazy. That was good. There were people looking at me funny, but I did not care at that point in time. So (laughs) dance like they're not watching. That's the key. That is the key. That was what I did. Like I said, they liked their show tunes and I liked Britney. What can we do? (laughs) (laughs) But it's okay because, well, we might discuss show tunes in the future, but today we're discussing Britney, so Amen. it's not important right now. <laughs> and now, enough of the embarrassing stories. I don't have one for the next song, but it is the aforementioned Break the Ice, which I already said was the third single from the album. And this is another Danger production. And even though it's the fourth track on the album, I don't disagree with what the album opener was, but this would have been a great opener just because of the opening line. It's been a while. I know I shouldn't have kept you waiting, but I'm here now. And uh, then we take a common phrase and make it sexy. You know, icebreakers at work events or classrooms. No, we're going to make it sexy. Baby, I can make you feel hot, hot, hot. It's what we're doing here. We are. And my hot take on this one is I think this could have led the album off. Oh, I, yeah. think it would, I think it would have been a cool way for this album to, to jump off. Um, it's a good song. In my opinion, when the drum starts to drop out at two minutes, it goes a little long after that for me. It actually does it three times after or does the, the refrain three times after that. And I really think like if they could have just stuck it on the first refrain and then let it come back to let me break the ice and just hit it hard. It would have been a really neat ending for that song. I just, in my opinion, I just feel, I felt like it went on just a tad too long, still a great song, still a cool track, um, but just a little long, just held on to it a little long. In my opinion, I can see what you're saying there. I love the song, but I can see where you're coming from about it being a little long, but I heard the same complaint about Gimme More before. I don't agree with that at all, but I have heard that. This was the third single from the album, and I actually, I'm going to say this right now, I think this was a smart choice for the third single because this is the most R&B song here. It even has elements of crunk, and 
She'd done one Krug song before this on the In The Zone album. She had a collaboration with the Yin Yang Twins. For real? Yes, I got yeah. that boom boom. Oh, shit. Yeah. Sade, we gonna go to the club and get crunk with Britney. Oh, I gotta listen to that. <laughs> oh, it's a classic. But that was much more straight ahead in that style. And this is, no, they make it their own here. And I think that was really smart. And this would have been a bigger hit than it was with better promotion, I think, because this does sound the most 2008 to me, I guess, in a good way, because of the sound of the time. I feel like this is in keeping with the R&B pop of the time. This is the era of, like, Fergie, Rihanna, Beyonce. I feel like this was the closest to what they were doing at the time, sound-wise, if that makes sense. It makes sense. But... Unfortunately, it only made it up to number 43 on the Hot 100, and uh, that is just disrespectful in my opinion. I (laughs) don't like that, so I don't know what y'all were thinking in 2008, radio programmers, iTunes. No, just not, not okay at all. Very wrong. Not even top 40, come on. I, I mean, I'd like... I'd have to think that it's some of the same stuff that Michael Jackson went through or Madonna went through or Prince went through or any of the divisive key players always have that point where the media is going to take and run with a bad thought of them to say the least. And I really think that their sales dwindle because of it. And I could imagine that's what's happening here. I mean, I'm sure that was the case. It probably wasn't cool to admit that Britney Spears had a great single out. But the bullshit part of it is that at the end of the year, Womanizer went to number one. So then it was okay. Like, that's what I'm not understanding here. Well, at that point, from what I've been listening from you saying, and I haven't watched it and I will, um, and I don't know it all, but from at that point, she was under the umbrella, right? So they were controlling the shots. And from what I can surmise from what I've learned from you so far, it sounds like by that point, they were on that trajectory. They were on that narrative that they've written themselves. And it was her comeback. Yeah, but eh. that is a whole nother tangent I can I go feel you. on. I feel you. And uh, I do love Womanizer, though. No disrespect to that song or any of its following singles, really. They're all songs that I love and that are nostalgic for me and that have held up for me. I can't say that about every hit of this time, personally. But my point is Break the Ice deserved better. And uh, it's just a shame that the time Britney truly called the shots. I'm going to say this right now. This is a bit of a tangent, but this is one of the only two albums along with In The Zone where Britney was really fully getting to be in control of her sound and what she wanted to do. Because when she first started, she didn't really want to do that teeny bop or pop thing. She actually envisioned herself as more of a singer-songwriter. She thought of herself as Sheryl Crow, but younger. That was the sound she wanted to go for. And that wasn't what happened. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because she changed the world of pop music forever when she came on the scene. But was she truly getting to do what she wanted to do fully? No, on this album, she really was. Executive producer. No conservatorship. And it's a shame that the public wasn't there for it. That's really all I have to say. It is a shame. 
that was my rant. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and side note, I was thinking this the other day, but it would be such a cool thing or, or, or maybe a, a side thought for us to really take some of these larger uh, conspiracies slash terrible times in these artists' lives and and give a whole podcast to this because they'd be super interesting to interesting to break down and go through at least in my opinion and I I'd love to do it next to you because you're the man in the know you know especially when it comes down to that stuff you get down to the nitty gritty so something for us to oh, think about going forward definitely though I will say there are a lot of podcasts and documentaries out there about Britney Spears that have done a really good job analyzing it. And uh, I know you think I'm so smart, but I learned a lot of things from people who know a lot more than me. So (laughs) that's what smart people do. I'm just going to say that right now. There's a lot of stuff out there about Brittany that you can just go on hours for podcasts and YouTube for. And uh, I try not to get too much into that here, but in this case, it is a big part of the story. But there you go. Enough about that. We're now going to move on to only non-singles, so I can't rant as much about songs not being hits. Yay. Because (laughs) then I'll be here forever. But (laughs) though in a perfect world, they all would have been hits, in my opinion, including this next song, our track number five, Heaven on Earth. Uh, Another 180 for this album. This is a full-on Giorgio Moroder I feel love inspired Euro disco track. And uh, it was produced by Freshcha or Freska. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but a production duo. They did this song on the album and they produced it with um, Cara Diaguardi, who soon would be a judge on American Idol for a couple of seasons. She was the fourth judge. I'm not going to lie. I stopped watching because of her. I'm like, I don't like her. What's she doing here? But now I regret it a bit because I missed Adam Lambert's run on the show. But oh, you. you win some, you lose some, I guess. <laughs> I don't always make the right calls. But anyway, they wrote the song with Nicole Morier, And uh, this is just a beautiful dance song about pure infatuation and love. And uh, oh, I just love the sound of it. I love the Giorgio Moroder sound to begin with. I feel love is a classic in and of itself. So anything that takes that vibe is a winner for me. Madonna had done a similar-ish song a couple years earlier with Future Lovers from Confessions on the Dance Floor. This song kind of reminds me of that, but it has a different um, lyrical take, which I appreciate, one better suited to our Britney. And uh, I think it fits her voice perfectly. I think she has that kind of sexy early Donna Summer vibe to her voice here, because we all know Donna Summer was the first lady of love when she started out with that love to love you, baby. And uh, she doesn't go that far, but she just glides over this beat so well. And I think it's beautiful. And I fall off the edge of my mind every time I listen to it. I love it. I, I, I had a real Daft Punk vibe going into it. Uh, I love the intro of this song. First listen to this, I didn't understand where the meat of this song was fitting into it. But after you start to really get down with this song and listen, 
the melody fits in perfectly. And this, the first time we see it on this album, we'll see it again, but this spooky kind of underground key and, and that electro vibe, it, it was it was a very unique piece. And like I said, at first, I, even in my notes, I have first time hated the meat of this song, like the meat and potatoes of the song, but it really grew on me. I, I enjoy this one. This is a, this is a, a very unique track, but it's it's a cool one. Yeah, this one was actually love at first listen for me. I could have said more about this during the intro, but I'm going to now. So like I said, in seventh grade was when I became obsessed with Britney Spears because I'd heard that she'd come back and there were people who said her songs were good. And I thought, really, huh? And I looked some of them up on YouTube, mostly the hits and I enjoyed them. But I listened to samples of just this particular album and Heaven on Earth was one of the songs, just the 30 second sample drew me in. I wanted to hear the whole thing immediately, listen to it on YouTube. And not too long after that, my mommy bought me the CD at Best Buy and I took it home with me. So there you go. And the rest is history. But yeah, I love this song. I always have. And just that whole vibe of it. Oh, I love it. It is heaven on earth, frankly. (laughs) Maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but it's a great song nonetheless. But we kind of take a 180 vibe-wise with our next song on the album, track number six, Get Naked, I Got a Plan, parentheses. And this one is basically a duet with Danger. That is his voice we're hearing. I got a plan. We can do it just what you want, baby, baby, baby. And uh, this is weird for a Britney Spears song. That's really all I can say about it. Like, lyrically, it's kind of straightforward, I guess. But it's the sonics that are just on that next level. This is, uh, I mean, I can't imagine what it must have been like for the longtime fans to have heard this in 2007. They must have been a bit confused because it's so out there. They had to be confused. It, it, even for me, uh, in 2022, I'm, I'm I'm taken aback a bit. Again, I talked to that spooky key. We're in this weird, like spooky, almost. My first reaction was like almost like a horror movie soundtrack kind of key to it, um, and it almost has like this for me this weird like creeper slash stalker vibe to the lyrics, and maybe that's more pushed forward in my my mind because of the creepiness and and the way the tones um call to that horror for me but it has like this dark dominatrix feel to it man it's just a dark song not so much in its lyrics if you just uh, the lyrics themselves are sexy but the way that they're arranged and and it's a quality arrangement but the way that they're arranged and performed it it's just it's spooky man it's a spooky tune it's a spooky tune for the title i mean the the track's name get naked i got a plan and i'm like all right here we go we're gonna get some wild ass britney here and then it's like oh man like danger long drawn out backing vocals it's it's definitely perfectly said the way the way you said it like what what do you think people back then were like holy shit like Brittany done lost her mind for real, <laughs> but in all honesty, it's just uh, we go back to that concept again. That concept, that avant-garde album that is is 
so far nonstop bangers. I mean, yeah, and she wasn't lying here. She meant it in a different way, but she's a freak and she really doesn't give a damn. And she lets that freakiness out just by doing the sound, I think. And uh, I love it. But my favorite part of it is uh, like right after the second burst danger, I understand that you don't have no plan. (laughs) That's my favorite part of the song. I just, oh, I love it. And uh, interestingly, even though this is an odd song, Based on the streams, this is the most beloved non-single on the album. This has over 20 million streams on Spotify. It also s- sparked thoughts of Poker Face in 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 my brain as far as rhythmically. Um, and I could see, again, we go back to that pop Bible, but you can see the inspiration that came from this album throughout everything that came afterwards. Yeah, and even the ladies at the time, some of the big pop stars had to admit it was a great album. Beyonce said she loved the album at the time. Rihanna said she loved the album. Kelly Clarkson did. The ladies were quickly picking up on it, fortunately, and I'm glad that they did. But you're right, this is a shaping that sound because Poker Face was a number one hit less than two years later. So hey. there we have it. Um, but yeah, I've always enjoyed this one and I don't hear the phrase get naked that often, but every time I do, I, this song gets stuck in my head. <laughs> like I once had a coworker jokingly tell somebody to get naked as like kind of a joke because well, restaurants are weird. You kind of yeah. have to be there to get some of it. The restaurant is a weird, wild place. If you're not there, yeah. you might not <laughs> understand yeah, but- and uh, we keep the weirdness going with track number seven, another Bloodshy and Avant production, this one called Freak Show. And uh, if any song here influenced pop for the future, it was this one. This was the first mainstream pop album to feature... No, sorry. This was the first song on a mainstream pop album to feature dubstep. And that became a huge sound in the next few years, but... This was where it was first introduced into the mainstream. And in this case, she was kind of like Madonna, frankly, introducing new sounds to the mainstream. It's kind of like what Madonna did with Ray of Light almost 10 years earlier. She really brought electronica music into the mainstream with that album. And Britney was doing the same thing here with a different approach, of course. But again, breaking ground. and. It's another weird song. It's the first one on the album, one of only two songs that she has a writing credit on. And I just love that it's a dark club track. It's perfect for where she was at this time because she was out partying with Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan. That was her life at the time, but it wasn't all light and poppy. No, there was a darkness to it. And she's saying like, we're going to give them a freak show. And how people were treating her life as a freak show at this point in time. So that might be reading a bit deep into it, but I do think this is kind of a metaphor. And sonically, I don't doubt that she was thinking that at all, but she's like, you want a freak show? I'll give you a freak show. She gave it to us. They gave it to us. Um, Her having writing credits on this, I think is phenomenal for the same reason that you've been touching on there. And that is the fact of 
new sounds coming into mainstream pop. Um, that dubstep bass that drives throughout this whole entire song is undeniable uh, for what it is. And also a part of a Britney song now, which and this song is super unique and nowhere, nowhere near what I expect or what I expected. I can't say that now anymore. But what I expected from Britney Spears, um, this one, as far as as making a new sound out, it really stands a testament to something that I haven't touched on much, but I want to touch on here. And that is the group of producers so far. And we'll, we'll see some more coming along as this album goes along. But the group of producers that she has trusted and producers and writers that she trusted, that she's worked with, that she is giving the run, um, even though she's sitting executive producer with them on this, I think it's phenomenal. And and for me, it feels like a real family affair that everyone is super pumped to be a part of because they know it's going to be something new and it's going to be something that nobody has ever heard before. And I think, in my opinion, Freak Show really shows that more than any other song on this album. I completely agree with you on that one, most definitely. And uh, this is another beloved song. This was actually performed in her Vegas show. And uh, during the song, she would bring a male audience member up on stage and tie him to a leash. On the opening night, the victim was Mario Lopez. <laughs> Heard that. Who are we talking? Oh, Janet Jackson did that. Okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's that. something that Britney uh, kind of took from Janet, an idea she took, but she did it too. So <laughs> I like it. I like it. I wouldn't have mind being that guy. <laughs> of course not. Who would? Who wouldn't want to be that guy? Back then, I wasn't married. No, it, my wife. I love you, Jess. She knows. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't have minded being on stage with Britney. She didn't make it top five baby mamas, but she's up there. She has a a place in the heart there. (laughs) I guess she's in the top 10, I'm guessing. It was funny to hear you say that she wanted or she thought of herself as a Sheryl Crow because she has a piece of my heart, but not as big of a piece as Sheryl does. So it was funny funny to hear you say that. Yeah, that does it for Freak Show. Now we're on to track number eight, Toy Soldier, our last Bloodshy and Avant song on the album. This one has a co-writing credit from Sean Garrett, who wrote hits for Beyonce and Usher prior to this. And in this one, she needs an actual man, a real soldier, a really badass soldier, sick of toy soldiers. Um, My favorite thing about this song is that it has a bit of like a percussive nature to it, along with the synths. And I think that's just super creative. That's my favorite aspect of the song. and. A while ago, I saw the review that said her vocal on this really sounded like when Stefani or the song did, and I totally hear that. Yet this one, it's a cute song. I don't think it's quite as impactful as some of the others on the album, but I do really enjoy the production on this one especially. Yeah, it's super sick. And for me, it's the back to the Britney bitch type of feeling um, that I that I expected throughout this whole album the first time I listened to it. 
Um, and I'm right with you. That percussiveness, that military drum cadence that comes in at the 36 seconds for the first time behind the beat or actually inside of the beat um, played on a, on a single snare is phenomenal. Not only does it tie into the toy soldier slash soldier slash military references that she does throughout this album throughout this song but it's just a hard ass single snare drum track it 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 crushes and it moves this song right along uh it's it's just it's it's a super sick bridge period um the the arrangement on this song production wise is in my opinion fucking insane it's tight Uh, you're, you're right it's not the number one track off this album but damn this is a good song yes it is completely agree with you on that one and uh like yeah. it, it has that it has that same sort of like you know i'm looking for a rough tough man soldier general yada yada but it's super overshadowed by this fucking sick ass beat not overshadowed but it, it doesn't it doesn't sound like just your cut rate song you know sometimes i look at the lyrics on a couple of these i'm like man if it wasn't for the beats and the production behind this that might not have flown as as a banger as much as it did and i think this is a prime example of that yes i agree with you i don't think it's the number one example of that we'll get to that but it is an example of it and uh yeah with that being said we are now on to track number nine Hot as Ice, this one was written by T-Pain and Danger, and T-Pain was one of the hottest names in pop music at the time, so this was definitely considered to be a single, I'm pretty sure, but it wasn't. I'm kind of surprised it wasn't, and uh, I believe this was one of the first demos to actually leak as the album. It was initially called Cold as Fire. Um, I like this song, but Gun to the Head, this is my least favorite on the album. I think it's a good song, but I just think it's in comparison to the other songs here. I think it's kind of basic. I don't feel like it takes any real risks uh, with its production to the extent that the other songs do. And I just don't think it's as timeless as them. I still like it, but not if I gun to the head. If I have to pick one, it's this one. I am exactly where you are uh in fact my notes said gun to the head this is the one um uh, <laughs> it almost has an outcasty sort of sorry miss jackson vibe to it that catches me a little bit and i really do enjoy the live drums right off the the start of the song i don't enjoy maybe i'm wrong hit me in the comments if i'm wrong about this but it feels like her voice is is through a filter in this in this song and i really don't enjoy it it seems almost like they took her up a couple pitches um and i think it takes a lot away from the, the vo- her her beautiful voice and that that's my opinion i could be wrong it might not be filtered but if it's not i definitely don't like the way she sang this this is my least favorite of the album yeah this is also my least favorite of her vocals she's better singing in her lower register, I think, than that higher register. This almost sounds like she's uh, trying to do, uh, like, sound like she's 17 again. When she's not, she's 25, and I don't want to hear that from her at this point in time. So you don't think that's a filter on that? Or do you know that's not? I don't know for sure. I don't. But I feel like that's kind of, that's just the vibe I get from the vocal. But it's definitely in her 
higher register, I feel sure. like. And I don't think she sounds as good as that as she does in her lower register. I just figured with T-Pain on this, um, I guess he was only a writer, not a producer. on yeah. it, But, you know, with him being in the forefront of, of that movement, period, uh, whether he liked it or not, it, it was just something where I was like, Eesh, I don't know, man, not down with it. Yeah. But uh, fortunately, I think things pick up with the next song, Ooh, Ooh, Baby. Uh, this one, Britney wrote with Frederick, who is a hip hop producer. Interesting, because this song doesn't give me hip hop vibes at all. And it also Cara Diaguardi, they both produced it as well. And it was originally called Filling Me Up. The most uh, prominent thing about this song is probably the Spanish guitar. Um, what I think is really interesting about that is uh, this is another new sound to Britney Spears. But interestingly, when she came onto the scene, Latin pop was huge. 1999 was also the year of... Uh, Breakout hits from Ricky Martin and Enrique Iglesias. They were all over in addition to Britney Spears. So I found it interesting that she kind of did this sound here. I don't like this one as much as I used to. I used to enjoy it more, but I still do enjoy it. I feel like she makes the sound her own. And I just, I don't know. I think it's a nice love, sexy, seduction kind of song. What do you think? I will agree with you as far as a nice little sexy seduction song. Um, also with a sound that we haven't seen or we weren't used to her doing, period. But as far as it on the album it, in a whole, uh, for me, this one fell uh, fell flat. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This one fell flat for me. And really, I felt like it was too weak to be on this album with these super progressive and super experimental um, songs, period. It, this one just was, for me, it felt like it didn't have a place on this album. I can see what you're saying. I do like the song, but it might have honestly fit better on like the circus album, honestly, than yeah. here. I feel like there might have been a better song to put on the standard edition, but we're not there yet. So, And I feel, I feel like... You know, it, I love the palate cleanser. We, we, you know, we've gone and, and seen some really cool palate cleansers inside of a couple albums that we've done. But if that was the intent on this, I still think it fell flat. Yeah, I do think it was a palate cleanser because uh, the album does go back to those heavier sounds for the end of it. Um, beginning with track 11, our last danger production, Perfect Lover. Um, like, I just... My favorite line in this is TikTok, TikTok, come and get me while I'm hot. <laughs> I love that line. But uh, this isn't quite as dynamic as the other Danger songs. I think lyrically it's kind of slight, but the production helps take it over the top. I do think this is a really cool, sexy, electro R&B song. And I just, I love the heavy sound combined with the sensual lyrics. I think that's a really cool sound. For this, and I feel like if this were on like in the zone, the sound would have been a bit more minimalist. But here it's not. And I think it's cool that they did that here. I, I totally agree with you. Um, it's that Britney feel, and I love um that they didn't go minimalist on this. I the only I I, I really enjoyed this song, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I'm not gonna repeat uh what you said so far. If I not if I have one thing that I kept looking for over and over again in this song. And that was like a strong bridge. 
And in my opinion, there's an outro, this rhythmic outro that could have been perfectly placed, again, in my opinion, inside the song and provided a really neat bridge uh, that I felt that this song needed. Other than that, though, I really enjoy this one. Perfect Lover is very close to perfect. I agree with you. But I don't think it's quite as perfect as the next song on the album. Love this one. Why Should I Be Sad? This one was written and produced by Pharrell Williams, obviously specifically for her, which I love that he did that. And yeah, this is a kiss off the K-Fed, Kevin Featherline, and works brilliantly. She Here she's realizing he was no good. He was a freeloader. He still is, for that matter, based on the amount that she's had to pay him for child support. He's still a fucking freeloader. Fuck that guy. But <laughs> enough about that. But, you know, she's not going to be sad. She's going to move on, you know. It's time for her to move along. She's tired of singing sad songs. And uh, I just think this is a great album ender. At least it was the ender for the standard edition. And uh, when I first heard this album when I was 12, this was initially my least favorite, but I didn't fully grasp it. I like it a lot more now as an adult. And uh, really, she laid it out for us here what the deal was, and we should have listened to her, but we didn't at the time. At least most of us didn't. And also, again, Pharrell's a phenomenal producer and great production. I mean, he'd already done I'm a Slave for You, another classic of hers, but for him to go the other route and do a personal song after that, it just shows his versatility, and that sound works with so many different things. Pharrell's the man. The man, I'll say it once if I'm going to say it a million times. Pharrell Williams is a motherfucking genius. And I don't say that lightly. He is a genius. You put Pharrell and the Neptunes on any track and they're going to hit it out of the park. I'd love to ask Pharrell or Britney how in depth their relationship was, because the way Pharrell writes this song, he might as well been Britney Spears. He might as well have been living inside of her head rent-free. I don't think this is written from a, a 100% outsider's point of view, and I, I love it. God, I, I can't say how much I love this song. It is insane. Pharrell's backing vocals are insane. The bridge at two minutes, uh, you don't worry about our angels, and, and I'm not even going to try to sing it, but the way it's put, that bridge is put in there is perfectly placed and perfectly performed this is how you end. Who I almost said I almost started a rant of cursing. This is how you end an album. This is how you end a motherfucking album. Pharrell and the Neptunes telling the story about Britney, letting it be known. Kiss off is a great way to say it. And man, what a song and what an ender. Why should you be sad after you wrote a song like that? Not a fucking reason because that is perfection. Perfection. I completely agree with you. And um, I know on Spotify, there are a couple of bonus tracks. Did you get a chance to listen to those? I did. I did. I listened through them. Yeah, the, the first was a Get Back, which is a Danger song. And uh, it was actually at one point considered to be the lead single. Um, yeah. My only guess as to why it's not on the album is the fact that it might have sounded a bit too similar to the other Danger songs. But I still think it's a solid tune. and. Uh, 
Then there's Everybody, which was produced by J.R. Rodham, who was a hot producer at the time. But uh, yeah, this one definitely deserved to be a bonus track. It has a sample of Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, but I mean, it sounds really dated. You can tell it was 2008, and the rest of the album is better than it. So yeah, the Everybody, the Everybody one maybe could have been something if they worked on it hard. It's a bonus track at best for me. Um, even with the sweet dreams are made of these and the rethinking that they did. And, and you know what? I'll, I'll coin or I'll use a, a phrase that you've coined in, in my head, and that is lost opportunity. I feel like this, everybody was a lost opportunity right there. You could have worked and and turned that into a hit, in my opinion. Um, Get Back was cool. Like you said, you hit it right on the head. Reason that that's not on this album is because Danger at this point was not showing as much versatility as he did in Future Sex Love, uh, right? Future Sex Love, the Justin Timberlake joint. Yeah, I mean, he was just the co-producer on that. This was really one of his first solo productions. He was doing it himself uh, without Timbaland this time. And he did well. And, and, you know, I didn't know that he was a... uh, a study of Timbaland, but you can you can hear some Timbaland type thoughts inside of his stuff. I won't say that he he reeks of Timbaland, um, but you can see what school he studied in. Yeah, it, you're totally hundred percent right though. It just it sounded just a bit too much like the, his other tracks on the album, and it's a cool bonus track. That gave me more junky XL dub. I mean. That is the best sampling material I've heard, ever heard in my life. I, you can sample your way through a, an album off that. <laughs> you know, it's got some really cool uh, little little shout outs and, and and another shout out to the dub, uh, the dubstep sound. You know that people weren't even about yet. Yeah, one oh, sorry, that the mainstream wasn't about yet. <laughs> Yeah, but one thing I want to say in general, actually, I'm not always the biggest remix person, but. The remixes, the Gimme More, are all actually great, in my opinion. I liked all the ones that I heard. They were all pretty awesome. There's even one featuring Lil' Kim. Yeah, so, really? <laughs> yeah. It's called the Kimmy Moore remix. Kimmy Moore. Oh, Lil' Kim, she's a wild one. Oh, yes, she is. But, <laughs> yeah, I loved all the remixes for Gimme More. That, oh, such a, such a great song right there. And, uh, now we are at the end of our journey with Blackout. What is your grade for the album? Whew. For me, this is a B plus. Um, if breaking the misconceptions of her and stepping outside of the mold that she had been in prior to this album was her mission, um, she does this and then some all over this crazy freak show of an album. Uh, it's beautifully produced. It's beautifully arranged. And while it might not be heaven on earth, I can I can see why it was heralded as the pop Bible for everything to come after it. Um, for me, there are some songs that are a little bit too close to each other sound wise sometimes and one that really didn't fit. But all in all, uh, it's an album that will uh, forever be on my radar and uh, always have me say, give me more. Yeah, uh, I always want more from this album. Maybe nostalgia's clouding me a bit here, but admittedly, I don't go back to every album I listened to in middle school as much as I do this one. This is an A for me. I think this is a fantastic pop album. And 
Yeah, I love me some Britney. I do think this is her best album. Just immaculate production, great songs, and uh, just, yeah, it's Britney, bitch. That's all I can say. It's Britney, bitch. It is indeed Britney, bitch. What is your favorite song on the album? Who for me, it's a t- it really is tough because I enjoyed this album all over the place. Um, and I love you, Brittany. And you know what? You performed it. I don't need, I don't know why I'm sad, but why should I be sad? Who I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> why should I be sad? It is my track for this album. Uh Pharrell Neptunes, boys, you killed that motherfucker. And Brittany, you laid down my favorite track on the album. Yeah. I gotta be basic. I gotta go with Gimme More. I never get sick of it. And just a killer fucking track right there. Nothing else to be said about it. I heard that. And uh, that does it for Blackout. I had a great time doing this one, I know. Yeah, man. You were, you know, you had told me, or you had, you always, we always try not to drop too much on each other. If you guys wonder, you know, as far as like our, uh, our opinions on the album and whatnot, but Charlie was like, look, this is a little bit outside of what you're going to hear from Britney period, like from the mainstream Britney stuff. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Charlie, you know, he, he's looking too much in. This is a totally unique album. And thank you for taking me on this journey uh, because I don't think I would have ever listened to this album in all honesty, just because if I'm being honest. I didn't know it existed uh, as far as like, you know, I, I, all her stuff in the the later years is all blurred together for me. Um, so thank you. Uh, this was a cool one. And, and shit, here we are. We're in the 2000s, you know, and the first one was a super cool one. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know what it'll be. What super cool one did you pick for us to do next? Super cool one next. We're going to take a, uh, a little bit of a turn off onto the Indie Rock Highway and do an album, a debut album a self-titled debut album from a band that some people uh, actually thought might be the the second coming or the Beatles of this generation. Uh, they they were they were said to be, and that is Franz Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand, uh, an album that has lived inside my brain since it came out, uh, and one of my favorites of all time. So. Hopefully we'll have a good ride through this next one. But Franz Ferdinand, Franz Ferdinand is is going to be our next album. All right. This is what I'm pretty much walking in blind to. I think I know one song off of it. So You and pretty much everybody else. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. But uh, all right. This will be a, a 180 from this for sure. But I am very curious to do this probably again an album i wouldn't have listened to on my own but i'm doing it for this podcast but i'll, I'll tell you right now it's not nirvana never mind so you'll <laughs> probably a good thing <laughs> most definitely a good thing yes oh speaking of that i want to say we were in the zeitgeist because pitchfork put out Recently, a list of the 150 best albums of the 90s, and all of the 90s albums we covered were featured on it. All right. Really? There you go. See? Yes. Unfortunately for me, the highest ranking of them was Nevermind, but still, pretty cool that all our albums were featured, I think. That's amazing. That is amazing. But in the meantime, 
Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcast. And until then, try not to take yourself out while you're waiting for our next episode. Peace.